The Orthodox Journey. In this edition of The Orthodox Journey, we reflect upon the Gospel reading on the second Sunday of Luke, in which Christ calls us to do to others as we would have them do to us. We commemorate Saint Andrew the Fool for Christ and bring you our weekly spiritual reflection. This is The Orthodox Journey. The Holy Gospel reading on the second Sunday of Luke. In Luke 6, 31-36, the Gospel reading for this Sunday, it writes, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful." The golden rule, do to others what you also want them to do to you, according to St. Cyril of Alexandria, is just a basic standard on how to treat others. It is only the first step on the path to virtue. The final step is in verse 36, where God's mercy, rather than man's desire, is the measure of true virtue. It is God's mercy, and imitating this mercy that raises man from the image to the likeness of God. Now, mercy as a rule of life differs according to one's cultural traditions and religious affiliations. Christian mercy has nothing to do with the way it was perceived in the classical sense, the ideal state in Plato's Republic, one based on class. It is not the same as the Jewish understanding of mercy where the non-observance of mercy was perceived as a transgression against the divine command and which could potentially bring about divine retribution to the entire community. In the Jewish world of the Old Testament, mercy was linked to the idea of social justice. The people of Israel had a tumultuous history of conflicts, exile, slavery. The people in the state suffered considerable poverty The wealthy members were comfortable, knowing how to protect and increase their fortunes on the back of those who paid the heavy taxes. The prophets sent by God resisted these injustices and they criticised the luxury of the rich, the evil and the contempt for the poor. They admonished the Jewish people and called for mercy. Amos castigates them when he writes, Read the pride of Jacob, its people who live in luxury, lie in beds of ivory, who eat well, listen to stringed instruments, considering these as permanent and not fleeting. Amos 6, 4-6. In Micaiah 2, 2, 
the prophet accuses the Jewish people of being merciless. They coveted fields, they plundered orphans, they oppressed families, a man and his inheritance. The prophets here are unanimously condemning the lack of human solidarity, the lack of compassion. All the ills that afflicted their people, they considered as the consequence of a departure from God and indifference to the suffering of one's neighbour. They viewed mercy as a divine command which their countrymen did not respect and so God's punishment was wielded against all of them. Within such a social and spiritual context, Christianity and its teachings appeared and would fundamentally change the relationship between the people towards people and between people and their relationship with God. Our Lord Jesus Christ's absolute love for people, his crucifixion, his resurrection, transformed the notion of mercy and it became the means of preaching and spreading Christ's word. Mercy now was not limited to members of one's own community. It encompassed all people, Hebrews, pagans, Christians. Mercy and brotherhood were discreet, unobtrusive, inconspicuous. They did not depend on reciprocity. The church fathers of the fourth, church of the fourth century, in particular St. Basil the Great, made mercy the real creed of their confession of faith. St. Basil wrote on mercy as a way of life, a discipline of the soul, a balance of the body, in full harmony, reflecting the image of God in man. Mercy is the daughter of love. It eases the neighbor's pain. It is bread that satisfies the hungry and water that quenches the thirst of those who are thirsty. Mercy is an expression of love. It springs from love. It is not abstract and it is not filled with sent sentimental words. St. John Chrysostom refers to mercy and love as the criterion whereby at the last judgment we will be judged. He tells us, let us love mercy. On her let us set our affection, not one day nor two, but all our life long that she may acknowledge us. If she acknowledges us, the Lord will acknowledge us too. If she disowns us, the Lord too will disown us and will say, I do not know you. God the Father is the greatest benefactor of all, but man who does good to others imitates him. This good has various facets according to St. John Chrysostom. It is a very wide concept. We usually associate the virtue of goodness and of being a benefactor to giving alms or materials to those who are in need. But not everybody needs alms and conversely not everyone can give alms, yet everyone can give and receive mercy. With a good word, with tears, with compassion, we show to those who need emotional support that we are next to them. There are treasures we can offer to others that do not come out of our wallets, out of our key card, out of the pantry of our kitchen, but treasures that emanate from a humble and loving heart. In the wisdom of Sirach, the prophet writes, Indeed, 
Is not a word better than a fitting gift? And both are found in a gracious man. The word of Christ gives life to faith that is waning. It inspires, it strengthens patience. It elevates the person who has fallen. And even more gracious is the word we give, the one that is based on our forgiving those who have been unjust towards us. This is mercy at a higher level. This is divine mercy. And so if we give money, arms and material to those who are in need, but have no forgiveness in our hearts for those who wrong us, then no amount of philanthropy will save us. St. John Chrysostom states clearly that there is no mercy greater than the mercy we show to those who have wronged us. Such mercy is possible to all and for all. We can all show mercy and with our example teach. Such mercy is godlike. The fathers of the church refer to it as the imitation of God because the person who forgives does what is a characteristic of the divine nature. After the fall, we all inherited the tendency towards self-love. Only with mercy can this be counted. Only through forgiving those who have wronged us can we receive God's mercy for what we have done amiss. Shalamana, an early king, was on the way towards the church with his troops. He was stopped by a servant who asked him to pay his debt off because he was to be imprisoned for not having the ability to pay his debts. Shalamana responded, You caught me just at the right time. How can I not show you mercy when I am going to our Lord Jesus Christ to ask for mercy for myself? And so he ordered that the servant's debt be paid. And the skeet had asked a saint for one useful word that he could use as a rule of life for the rest of his life. And the saint simply replied, Show mercy to all people so that God may have mercy on you. What is more precious for us than God's mercy? It is God's mercy that will give us eternal blessedness. It is our passport to his kingdom. Amen. Saint of the Week, Saint Andrew, the Fool for Christ. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, throughout the ages, each and every saint of our Orthodox Church, with no exception, have shown us a living example of the virtue of humility. But this beautiful virtue was exemplified and demonstrated at an extreme level by St. Andrew the Fool for Christ, whom we celebrate on the 2nd of October. In the early 10th century, during the reign of the great Emperor Leo the Wise, there lived in Constantinople a man named Theognostos, who was a devout Christian. Theognostos was very wealthy and had many servants. His favourite servant, however, was Andrew, a young man from the Slavic regions, who was of good character, was strong physically, handsome and intelligent. Theognostos loved him so much that he made him his favourite servant. Theognostos would take young Andrew to church and instructed him in the faith. As Andrew progressed in his Christian life, he cultivated his spiritual struggle with much prayer, fasting, vigils and frequent church services. 
One night, as Andrew was praying, the devil, who was very jealous of the progress Andrew was making, appeared to him and began to beat viciously on his door. Andrew was terrified, and stopping his prayer, he leapt into his bed and covered himself with the bed covers. The devil rejoiced at this. As Andrew dozed off into a light sleep, he suddenly saw himself in an arena. On one side of the arena stood a large crowd of black demons, and on the other side there was a multitude of tall youths wearing white garments. It seemed as if the two groups of men were preparing to do battle. The demons had as their commander a great black giant, who threatened the men clothed in white to send forth a soldier to challenge them. The men in white, however, made no reply to these threats, but stood their ground. As Andrew overlooked this setting, he wondered who would step forward to take on this beast. His eye caught the sight of a fair youth descending from on high, carrying three crowns in his hands. The first crown was adorned with pure gold and precious stones, the second with a radiant pearl of great price, and the third, the largest and most beautiful of them all, was woven with red and white flowers. Such was the beauty of these crowns that his eyes were fixed on them, and he began to contemplate how he might at least acquire one of these crowns. Andrew approached the fair youth and asked, Are you willing to sell me those crowns? If you wait here for me, I will speak with my master, and he will give you as much gold as you like for them. The youth replied, Even if you were to give me all the gold in the world, I will not give them to you, as they are not of this world, but from the heavenly treasury of Christ. But if you want to acquire these crowns, you first have to defeat the chief demon. Andrew took courage at this, and he asked the youth how he might defeat the demon. The youth told Andrew not to be afraid of the demon's apparent strength, for he is easily defeated. Filled with courage, Andrew shouted out to the chief demon, Come out and contend with me, O evil one. Fearsome and threatening, the demon drew near. He seized Andrew and cast them about for a long time, and the other demons were applauding. Meanwhile, the men in white grew pale, fearing that the demon would throw Andrew to the ground. However, just as Andrew was almost overcome, he succeeded in tripping up the demon. The beast was hurled down like a great tree, and in falling he struck his head on a stone. The demon cried out, Woe is me! Woe is me! The men in white rejoiced exceedingly. They lifted up Andrew high in their arms and began to kiss him, exulting in his victory over the demons. The fair youth then approached Andrew and placed the crowns on his head. He kissed Andrew and said to him, Go in peace. Take up the good struggle. Embrace foolishness for my sake, and you will partake of many good things in the day of my kingdom. After Andrew heard these words, he awoke from his sleep, and from that hour onwards, he became a fool for Christ for the rest of his life. Immediately, he got out of bed, prayed, and ran outside where he took a knife and cut up his garments until he was half naked. When the cook of the house early in the morning saw Andrew acting like a madman, he ran and told his master. 
Theognost was so angry in this state, talking nonsense and acting like a fool. He was very upset and thinking that he was possessed, tied him up in chains and took him to the church of St. Anastasia. He stayed at the church for several days. During the day, he pretended to be insane when people were around, but would keep vigil all night long, praying unceasingly. One evening as Andrew was praying, a multitude of demons appeared to Andrew. The demons were holding axes, knives, clubs and spears, with which they planned to torture Andrew. The demons charged at Andrew and fell on him with their clubs and knives. Andrew, in a state of despair, cried out, Holy Apostle John the Theologian, help me! Immediately thunder resounded, and a multitude of shining men appeared, being led by an elder whose face was shining brighter than the sun. The elder commanded, Shut the gates and let no one escape. At once the doors were closed and all the demons were seized. Andrew heard one of the demons cry out, Cursed be the hour when we were deceived, for John is merciless and will torture us cruelly. St. Jonathan commanded, Lead the demons to me one by one. The demons were brought to St. John, and he stretched them out, and taking a length of chains, he folded them over and lashed each demon one hundred times. After St. John had lashed each of them, he told them, Go and show your father Satan your stripes, and see whether this pleases him. The demons departed, and St. John approached Andrew, saying to him, See how much concern I have for you. God has entrusted me to your care. Andrew replied, My Lord, who are you? The elder replied, I am he who leaned on the Lord's bosom. After this experience, Andrew intensified his efforts. After a certain length of time, his master freed him and he began to wander the streets pretending to be mad. He was destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Some mocked him as a fool, others drove him off, despising him like a stinking dog. Others thought him to be possessed. Young boys taunted and beat the Blessed One, but he endured all these things, praying for those who offended him. If someone ever gave him some food or money, he immediately distributed them to the poor, but so that they wouldn't thank and praise him, he would throw the money or food in their faces and threaten to beat them up until they drove him away. Sometimes he wouldn't eat for a whole week and suffered from the extreme cold during winter as he only wore a tattered garment. During the day he ran around like a lunatic, but at night he laboured in prayer. There was usually nowhere for him to sleep. The poor chased him away and the rich did not let him enter their courtyards. When he tried to sleep with the dogs, even they bit him and chased him away. Such was the lifestyle of Andrew the fool, proving the words of St. Paul, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The grace of God dwelt within him, and he even knew the inner thoughts of men. His virtuous way of life was hidden to most people. But God allowed only a few people to recognize the spiritual giant living in their city. Once, a woman by the name of Barbara, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, was struck with awe as she beheld the blessed Andrew 
moving through the crowd of people, for he shone like a pillar of fire. At the same time, certain mindless men were pushing him, others were beating him, others simply stood nearby and said, This man is a fool and has lost his mind. But Barbara could also see the demons following behind Andrew, wagging their heads, saying, May God not permit another like this to walk the earth, for he has withered our hearts and he mocks the world. Barbara could see the demons writing down the names of those who struck the saint. She could hear the demons saying to one another, It pleases us to see them pommel this fool, for on account of their having beaten an innocent servant of God, they will be condemned at the hour of their demise and deprived of salvation. Andrew also heard these words, and by the power of the Spirit of God, he fell upon the demons with awesome might. He tore apart the scrolls on which they had written, and he angrily said to them, I forbid you to write down the offences of those who beat me, for I make entreaty to my master that he count not as sin the blows that lay upon me. Out of ignorance they do this, and on account of their ignorance they will be forgiven. The pious woman who saw these things was amazed and said to herself, How many luminaries does God have on this earth of whom no one knows? We shall end our account of the life of St. Andrew with the most beautiful description of a divine experience he had of paradise. During a cruel winter, Constantinople was plagued by a bitter cold for two weeks. Every house was covered in snow. Strong winds were destroying trees and houses, and even the birds fell dead to the ground. The homeless suffered the most, and many of them died from hunger and cold. Andrew also suffered immensely, as he had nowhere to stay the night. One night, he approached a shelter with other beggars, but they cruelly drove him away with sticks, shouting, Go away, you dog! He then walked through the city until he found a dog sleeping, so he lay down next to it so that he could absorb the heat of the dog. But when the dog saw him, it ran away, and Andrew said to himself, O oh, you wretch and sinner, not only men, but even the dogs disdain you. He lay down to rest, and it was so cold that his body turned blue and he was suffering so much that he thought his death was near. He lifted up the eyes of his soul to heaven and prayed that God receive his spirit in peace. As he started to pray, he suddenly felt exceedingly warm. He opened his eyes and he saw a handsome young man who was shining like the sun. Andrew then heard a voice commanding, Bring him here that he might rest for a little while, then allow him to return. When these words were said, he fell into a sweet sleep where he beheld divine revelations that he himself later reported to his friend Nikiforos. I know not how it came to pass, he said, that even as one sleeps sweetly and arises in the morning, so by the command of God I continually beheld a delightful vision for the period of two weeks. I saw myself in a beautiful and most marvellous garden. My spirit was amazed, and I thought, What does this signify? I know that I live in Constantinople, but I do not understand how I came to be in this place. 
I know not whether I am in the body or out of the body. God alone knows. I saw that I was clad in a most radiant garment, woven as it were of lightning. Upon my head was a crown, braided of many flowers, and I was girded with a royal belt, the beauty of which caused me to rejoice exceedingly. My mind and heart marvelled at the unearthly beauty of God's paradise, and my soul was very happy as I walked through it. There were numerous groves of lofty trees there, the tops of which swayed back and forth, and the sight of which filled me with joy. Certain of the trees were perpetually in bloom, others were adorned with golden leaves, yet others bore fruit of unspeakable beauty and excellence. There were numberless birds in that garden, some had wings of gold, others were white as snow, while others were of various colours. They sat upon the branches of the trees of paradise and sang most wonderfully, so that I was beside myself on account of the sweetness of their song. My heart was greatly delighted, and I supposed that the hour of their singing could be heard even in the heights of heaven. Before me walked a youth clothed in purple, whose countenance was like the sun. We drew near a veil which shone like lightning, before which stood fearsome, immense youth, who were like a flame of fire. In their hands they, hold, they held fiery weapons. As I gazed with fear upon this innumerable multitude of heavenly hosts, the young man who was my guide said, When the curtain is opened, you will behold the Master Christ, bowed down before the throne of his glory. Hearing this, I rejoiced and trembled, and was overcome by fear and unutterable gladness. I stood there and looked until the veil was removed, and when the curtain was opened by a flaming hand, I saw my Lord, as did once Isaiah the prophet, sitting upon a throne high and lifted, lifted up and set up him round about. He was clad in a robe of purple, and his eyes looked upon me full of love. When I saw him, I fell down before him and worshipped the most glorious and fearful throne of his majesty. Such was the joy that laid hold of me at the sight of his countenance that I am unable to tell of it. Even now, as I remember that vision, I am filled with celestial sweetness. Trembling, I lay before my master, marvelling at how it was that in his mercy he vouchsafed me a sinful and impure man, to, to appear before him and to behold his divine beauty. As I in my unworthiness pondered on this, I was filled with compunction, and I gazed upon the magnificence of my master. I repeated to myself the words of the prophet Isaiah, O wretch that I am, for being a man of unclean lips, with mine eyes I have seen the Lord. And I heard my most merciful Creator say to me three divine words with his most sweet and pure lips, which so delighted my heart and inflamed it with love, that like wax I melted with spiritual warmth in fulfilment of the, of the words of David. My heart is become like wax melting in the midst of my bowels. Then all the hosts of heaven chanted an exceedingly wondrous and ineffable hymn, 
after which I know not how, I again found myself walking through paradise, and I considered how I had not seen the most pure lady, the Theotokos. And lo, I beheld a man, radiant as a cloud, who held a cross and said, Do you wish to see the Queen, who is more luminous than the heavenly hosts? She is not here, but has departed unto the much-suffering world to comfort man and to console the sorrowing. I would show you the holy place where she dwells, but there is no time now. You must presently return to the place from which you came as the Master commands. When he said this to me, I felt as though I had fallen into a sweet sleep. Then I awoke and I found myself in the place where I was before, lying in the corner, and I marveled at the place where I had been during the vision and at that which I had been deemed worthy to behold. My heart was filled with unspeakable joy, and I thanked my master that he had been pleased to bestow such grace upon me. Such is the life of St. Andrew, who worked numerous miracles and who bore much reviling and many blows. But the greatest miracle of all was that he turned many sinners to repentance. May we too emulate the extreme eros and love that St. Andrew had for Christ. And may this love also cause an explosion within our own hearts. May we be counted worthy to partake of the divine and heavenly blessings that St. Andrew experienced, to rejoice with the angels and with, the, and with gladness to stand before God, to whom be glory unto the ages.
We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. To keep up to date with our podcast, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or head to orthodoxjourney.com where you can find even more Orthodox articles, talks, sermons and podcasts.